You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. So today's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, and we're reading from verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Thanks, so. Thank you, Sean. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here on this cool Sydney morning. Special shout out to uh, Skulk and Mari Louise, who are back with us, who went, went to South Africa to get married and two weeks ago and are now back. Can we give it up for these two lovebirds? Feel free to go and chat to them afterwards about all the wisdom of two weeks' worth of marriage. Welcome back. And first morning back on the coffee machine. Love it. Great advertisement for getting involved at Harborside. Special mention as well to Sonia's family who flew in this morning from the US. Pretty impressive. I'm I'm amazed you're here. I will be only mildly offended if you fall asleep during the sermon because you're jet lagged. My goodness. Welcome. It's great to have you guys here. Welcome. Oh, it's good to be here. Let me ask you a question before we get going this morning. Have you ever done something, been involved with something, been asked to do something, you're in the middle of it, and you think, I am not prepared for this? You ever had that experience? I don't really know what I'm doing. What am I doing here? Have you had that experience? I've had lots of them. Um, uh, that's probably just my personality, tend to jump into things. I'll never forget uh, bringing our eldest son home from the hospital about 12 years ago and thinking the same thing. Just thinking, oh, no, no, they've made a terrible mistake. Uh, these nurses, they're qualified to have children. They should be coming home with us or having this child. And I tell you what, when that kid cries through the night for the first time, you're just thinking, I don't know what to do. I am not prepared for this. I'm seeing some young parents nod their heads. Yeah, yeah, you, you, might, you might remember that. Or, or maybe for you it's a, a same feeling but a different context. Maybe it's a work role you put your hand up for or you were, you, were, you were excited for, you were pushed into maybe, you're in it and you're just thinking, I'm not very equipped for this. I'm not very prepared for this. I wish I'd kind of knew more before I put my hand up. Maybe it was an exam. If you had that experience of, of studying, for example, you know, there's five areas of content. You think, I know, I'll be clever. I'll just study three. And then you're in your, and, and they ask you about the two areas that you just did not study. I've had that experience before. I wish I knew that. I wish I was more prepared. Interestingly, lots of friends of mine come out of Bible college 
and they, they jump into church ministry. And one of the first things I often say, and a lot, is I had no idea it would be like this. I had no idea church ministry would be like this. Bible college didn't really equip me for what I'm dealing with. I don't feel very prepared. Now, this morning, as, as Sean mentioned, we're talking about the happy topics of temptation, of trials, of, of suffering, of evil. That's what we're talking about on this sunny morning. As we explore the final line in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How is everything I've talked about now related to that? What's that got to do with anything? Well, part of our role as pastors is to equip us, to equip people for the reality of the Christian life, not the fantasy of the Christian life. Right? Part of our role, let me say it again, is to equip people for the reality of the Christian life, not the fantasy of the Christian life. Just think about how ridiculous it would be to train a pilot to only fly in good and fine conditions? What sort of pilot would you expect to produce? Imagine training a soldier only for peacekeeping tasks. How would they go when a battle came? What kind of soldier would you produce? Imagine training a lifeguard to save somebody's life caught in the surf only in calm conditions. What kind of lifeguard would you produce? In the same way, what kind of Christians are being produced if we never talk about the reality of trials, if we never talk about the reality of temptation, of evil, of suffering? It's going to come our way. If we never talk about it and we aren't equipped, we're, just, we're going to be unprepared, aren't we? We're going to face these difficult times, and I think partly we'll just be surprised that they're happening. No one told me this had happened. And, of course, we'll be just poorly equipped to deal with them. So before we get dive in to the message this morning, let me ask, are you willing to talk about something that, that is confronting? Are you willing to engage with a confronting topic for your spiritual benefit? Are you willing to stare in the face of something uncomfortable in order to grow? A friend of mine um, has produced a fantastic podcast, an in-depth, uh, fascinating podcast, following the, uh, interviewing this girl. It's called Finding Ruby, interviewing this young woman who's had the most traumatic experience, really, you could imagine, being uh, exploited uh, in sexual slavery. It's part of his work with IJM, International Justice Mission. It's a great podcast, but I'll tell you, it's confronting. It's not easy to listen to. The things that are dealt with are heavy. It's pretty, it, it is facing evil head on. And he was telling me about his experience producing the podcast and even just talking to people. What do you do? Well, I've been doing this lately. And he'd begin to talk about it. And some people would just go, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about it. That's too heavy. And I, a part of me kind of gets that. But we were, as we were talking about it, he said, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot, about people's reaction. No, I don't want to hear about it. And he said, the problem is, what if everyone does that? What if everyone says, no, no, I, I don't want to deal with that, thanks. What happens if we all do that? What happens to those vulnerable people who are being exploited? 
What's the cost? Who will stand up for these young people if everybody says, no, I don't want to look. We can, we can close out, no, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. We can do that if we want to, but at what cost? And in the same way, we can close our eyes to the reality of evil in our own hearts and in our world and try to pretend all is well, but at what cost? Because the truth is, I, I think this, our culture, we, we don't really want to deal with these things, right? We often don't want to deal with the reality of, of sin and evil. It's not good for polite conversation, is it? Right? And let's be honest, it, it gets in the way of us having a good time, right? If our lives are all about really just making life, maximizing the, the, the potential and the pleasure out of it, talking about these things, well, that gets in the way of it, doesn't it? But here's the thing. As Christians, we aren't permitted to be so narrow in our thinking, are we? We know too much, right? We know too much. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are we asking for when we pray this request, folks? What are we asking for? Last week, Caleb fantastically took us through the line before, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We explored what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be set free from sin and to extend that forgiveness to others. So therefore, of course, we want to walk in the light. So our final request in the Lord's Prayer is to walk in the light. It's a prayer that deals with the real danger in ourselves and in our world. So let's get stuck in together this morning. When Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, that word temptation can mean a few different things. So the first one we'll look at this morning is it can be translated as trial. Some uh, translations of this in Matthew's gospel have lead us not in the time of trial meaning a difficult time or a hard season, a problem, an issue, something that's causing us pain. Lead us not into the time of trial. But here's kind of the confusing thing. The Bible's very clear that we are to expect times of trial, right? Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> we are to expect times of trial. So what do we do with that? James 1 is really clear. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we are to expect trials and more than that, see them as opportunities for joy. I don't know about you, I have a bit of a hard time reading that. Consider it pure joy. Joy? Really? Joy? What does that mean? I think part of the reason is that trials for us as believers are far from meaningless. Okay? Trials for us are far from meaningless. They have a purpose. They have a purpose. Now, what is that? Well, there's a clue in this. A testing is going on. When we experience trials, a testing is going on. Now, let me say, well, we're not to think about this testing of our faith as in a testing, oh, is your faith genuine or not? Like a feats of strength, 
Like, here's lots of trials, and if you break under the pressure of these trials, oh, your faith is obviously not real. Nothing like that. We are meant to think of the testing of our faith like a refining process. Okay? One Peter really makes this very clear, this idea. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Why have they come? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We are able to view trials differently as Christians. Why? Because they have a purpose. The purpose is growing in our faith. I'll never forget, I vividly remember this moment, um, talking through a difficult issue in my life with a trusted mentor, a respected mentor. I was sharing all about this. I remember I kept saying, this is hard, this is hard. Right? They were very patient and, and they were asking insightful questions. And towards the end they said, I know this is hard and I know what I'm about to say is crazy, but this this difficult situation, this is a gift for you. Are you able to see it like that? This is a gift for you. And immediately, I'm a smart ass, immediately I said, a gift, can I return it? Or at least exchange it? <laughs> a gift? They replied, yes, it is. This is how we grow. It's what a lot of therapists call the work. This is the work. Maybe you've heard of that term before. This is the work. This is the deep work. This person said, you cannot grow like this in any other way. This is how we mature, grow up, grow in godliness. When we are met with difficult things, here's a question for us. Are we able to see the hard times in our lives as gifts? I know that's hard. And if you are in it at the moment, Maybe this thought is totally crazy for you. But at the very least, we can see that they're not meaningless. They are not meaningless and we are not left alone. There is a purpose in it. We can ignore them or we can see them, okay, God, what are you trying to do in me through this? Now, linking back to our topic for today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the time of trial. What does it mean to pray that when the Bible is just so clear we're going to face trials? Let's not forget how we started this series. Let's not forget the first line, our Father in heaven. May we never forget who we are praying to. Okay. We must remember our loving Heavenly Father is the one we pray to who will never abandon us, no matter how hard the trial. And so in prayer, we go to Him in honesty and vulnerability. And this can mean praying, deliver me from this time of trial. Yes, Lord, deliver me from this, as Christ did in the garden. If there's any other way, God, take this cup from me. Did you know this is, we can pray like this? To our Heavenly Father, we can pray to be delivered from physical pain. Lord, this is a lot for me to bear. Would you deliver me from this? We can pray, I'm this boss at work, there, there's no working with this person. Lord, deliver me. This is hard. We can pray 
this a difficult relationship. I don't know what to do, Lord. Would you please deliver me from this? From any burden that we are experiencing, we can pray this prayer. It is not a sign of a lack of faith. We can pray this prayer. Lord, deliver me. And he is who? A good father that longs to guide us and guard us and comfort us. Now, I think it would be a mistake to pray, Lord, get me out of here when we experience every single difficult thing, okay? But isn't it a great comfort to know that we can pray to God to deliver us and know that if it doesn't, even if it doesn't happen, he'll use it for our best. Deliver us from time of trial. Okay, let's keep moving here. We can think about... We can think of temptation as a time of trial, but we can also think about it in the traditional sense of temptation, right? Enticing to sin from an external source and an internal source. Before we even go anywhere on this, it's important to note, yes, God may allow trials to test our faith, allow temptations to rise, but he never leads us to temptation. He never leads us. He never offers up sin as a great option, as an enticing thing to do. James 1 is very clear. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Pretty clear. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Really clear. And yet, temptation is a reality that we will all face on a daily basis, myself included. We will face these temptations every day. So what do we do about it? What do we do? I think the first, there's so much to say on this. Caleb and I have been talking this, this week about this series. Every time we'd say, there's so much to say, we could have done, you know, 20 weeks on this series. There's so much to say. But I think one of the first things, one of the most important things to, to talk about is to understand where temptation can come from. We've got to know our enemy. There really is a devil. There really is a devil, Satan. And he really does tempt us. I tell you what, when you, when you become a Christian, there is just so much great news. One of the most amazing things that still I just love is we are adopted into a new family. God is our Father. Who is our Father? He's the Lord of the universe. Jesus Christ is our, our brother, our Savior, our Redeemer, and we inherit a whole new family of wonderful, weird people. That's you. You get a whole set of brothers and sisters. It's crazy. It's wonderful. It, it, it's, it's a blessing. And also, the truth is, we inherit an enemy. We inherit an enemy. Puritan theologian Herman Witsius, I think that's how you say it, says this, whoever has God for their friend will find Satan to be their enemy. Too bad. It's a given. You have an enemy. Can't sugarcoat it, don't want to. You have an enemy. He is real. And let me say, we're foolish to think of him as this sort of harmless cartoon character, horned figure with a tail, and it's, you know... Foolish to think of him just like that. We don't want to overestimate his power, but we don't want to ignore him or underestimate what he can do either. He is real. He hates God. He hates Christians. He hates the church. He hates this place. You have an enemy. Ephesians 6, a very famous passage all about spiritual warfare, opens with this. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Can I encourage you this week, today, go home and read Ephesians 6. Them's fighting words. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Imagine for a moment a filing cabinet. Imagine a filing cabinet, or maybe let's update the illustration, make it a bit more modern. Imagine a desktop with a, f- a file icon, Lucifer's desktop, okay? Imagine a file there, you open the file, or the folder, sorry, the folder. You open the file, there's many in there, there's a file there with your name on it. You click the file, click open the file, and on there is a plan, a scheme. Think about this. The devil has a scheme, a plan to bring every single one of us down. It's kind of a weird thought. It's a confronting thought, isn't it? What would be on that file for you? Don't yell it out. But what would be there? I remember being asked this question before I entered church ministry. I was very confronted. If the devil were to take you down, what would be his plan? Now, this is not to scare you, but this is a reality check for every single one of us that we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. He wants to bring people down. He wants to take us away from God. What would his plan be for you? Know your enemy and know thyself. The evil one may have specific plans for each of us, but here's kind of the good news. He's not that smart. He's not that smart. He's not that clever. And he really has uses the same sort of tactics and has for a very long time. He really only has a couple of plays. And we can see them at work in the reading that Sophie read for us from Genesis 3. I'd love to take a few moments to go through this now and see how he operates so that we may be equipped We may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Point one, what is one of his classic plays? It is classic play to doubt the word of God, causing God's people to doubt the word of God. Genesis 3, we, we read, get there in a moment, Adam and Eve were given clear instructions of how to enjoy the garden and all of God's gifts. Enjoy everything except this one tree. Don't eat from it. That tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. Really, it represents authority. Yep. Who gets to decide right and wrong? The creator or us? The creator or Adam and Eve? And the devil taking the form of a serpent in the garden questions what God had said. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now notice what he's doing here. He's questioning God. But of course, it's wrong. You can't eat from any tree in the garden. No, no, that was just one. Trying to make God out to be harsh, you see. Inaccurately quoting God. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree? Can you really trust this God character? And this insidious question is maybe still his greatest weapon. I know God said this, but how do you know it's true? Can you trust it? I mean, can we really trust the Bible? It's pretty old. 
It's outdated. It's written for another culture. It's culturally and, and, and modern. It's not modern. It's not for modern people like us. You can't really trust it. It's irrelevant. One of Satan's classic schemes is to get us to doubt God at his word. He sows doubt. He plants lies. He throws questions. He accuses. That's how he operates. Friends, we've got to know our enemy. Now, what did Eve say? Eve replied, Oh, well, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, here's Satan's next classic tactic. Serpent replies with the next play, questioning the reality of God's judgment. You won't die. You will certainly not die, the serpent says to the woman. Okay, God might have said this, but it, he didn't mean it. It's not true. He wasn't being serious. You can disobey his command and there won't be any consequences. Don't worry about it. There'll be no consequences for ignoring the one who made you. Take it. Eat. Right? Minimizing or erasing the reality of God's judgment and consequences for us ignoring God and his word. There probably isn't even a God, so just enjoy your life. You do you. Next point. The serpent continues with his next play, and this one is rife. Questioning the goodness of God. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's his play? Questioning the goodness of God. If he can't go after the reality of God, he'll, he'll go for his goodness. God knows this is going to be good for you and he's holding out on you. What a killjoy. God is such a killjoy. Isn't this classic? I grew up believing this. God knows how good this will be for you. Okay, God and his word might exist, but he or his word, are there any good? God might be big and powerful, but he isn't for you. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. If you trusted him, your life would be worse off. You take the reins. You can make better decisions. You know what's good for you. It would be so dull and boring and foolish to just innocently trust God. Far more mature and, and interesting and well-rounded and worldly to try illicit things. Don't be so naive. You see? You see how he operates. All of these doubts and questions from Satan, the truth is, can land with us as well because we have a battle raging within as well. The Bible teaches us as Christians, we are saved from the power of sin, from the dominion of darkness. We're saved from the power of sin over our lives and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And yet we still battle with sin because of the old nature that we bear, a rebellious nature that struggles to bow the knee to our true king in every area of our lives. And we will battle with this for the rest of our lives. There is hope. 
So the devil has schemes, a battle rages within us regarding temptation. Is there any hope? What are we to do then? As we close, may we remind ourselves and encourage each other that there is hope, a great hope. Now that we're properly warned about the dangers that lay ahead for us, we can rightly be equipped. And how do we do that? The truth is, friends, we are in a fight. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't lie. We are in a fight, a wrestle, a a fight for our spiritual lives. There's no getting around it. There's a reason Paul in Ephesians 6 uses language and metaphor of warfare. No disguising it. But friends, we can be well equipped in this fight and we are not alone. What are our weapons? Our primary weapon against the tactics of the evil one And what are they? Questioning, throwing doubt, accusations, using our sin and guilt against us to condemn us. What is our primary weapon? Our primary weapon is truth, is the truth of the gospel. We battle the lies of Satan with simply what we know to be true the truth of the gospel. I remember a friend of mine, he was uh, writing a Christian book, uh, sort of in the beginning stages, and he went away for a week or two on a writing retreat, lovely hotel, and booked a room there. And uh, he got back and I asked him about it, hey, how did that go? And he said, oh man, it was really tough. Wasn't what I was expecting. A really bright guy, you know, I imagined just the words would be coming out for him very easily. And he said, no, it was really hard. And he began to describe what he he talked about as an intense spiritual attack that he received when he was there. Wasn't expecting that. But thankfully, he was very honest with me. He said, while he was trying to write, he was bombarded with all these flaming arrows of doubts and questions and accusations in his mind. Who are you to write this book? Who do you think you are? someone like you shouldn't be writing a book, all the sin in your life, you, you couldn't even be a pastor. He said it was so intense, he almost went to the front desk and, and changed the reservation for two people. There were two people living in his room. That's how intense it was. How many of us in our inner private worlds deal with similar, similar accusations and doubts? How many of us deal with similar things going on in our minds? God couldn't really love a person like you. He loves and cares for everybody else in this room, but you're different. The mistakes you've made, they talk about forgiveness, but that doesn't apply to you. Real Christians don't do that. Real Christians don't struggle with stuff like this. Shut up, Satan. At these times, what are we to do? Simply declare the truth of the gospel. Because Satan is defeated, the Bible says, by standing firm in our faith in God, not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. That's all. Satan's intention is to get us to abandon our faith in God. All we must do is resist him and he will flee, James 4 says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. His only power is to question and it's defeated when we distrust him and trust God. When we feel guilt, we seek God's forgiveness, we declare the truth, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation 
for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus dealt with our sin and our guilt once for all on the cross. And if Satan wants to talk about those things, he can take it up with Jesus. And that, friends, is not a fair fight. Because Jesus has defeated Satan, and although he certainly has power here for now, he is on a leash, and it is a short one, and his time will come. We shouldn't be surprised by these things, friends. Times of, of discouragement. Every single time we do an alpha course here, before we start, we meet with the leaders, we prepare each other, and we need to remind each other of the reality of spiritual warfare. I am never more discouraged in my heart and my mind except when I'm doing that course. I, I, don't, I don't want to do it. There's a part in me that doesn't want to do it. There's a part of me that doesn't want to get here. There's a part of me that doesn't want to leave the house. I, I feel lazy and I feel discouraged. And I, these, these thoughts in my mind, and, oh, there's no, no one cares, no one's going to turn up. And I need to be switched on to the reality of what's going on here. The evil one does not want it to happen. I should not be surprised. And as a team, we've got to re remind each other and, and encourage each other of what we're doing. People are coming here and their eyes are being opened to the truth of who Jesus is, of course Satan would despise it. And let me tell you, he hates what's going on here this morning. He will use any and every tactic to keep us, keep us away from each other, away from meeting together. Don't be surprised when discouragement hits you when you think about coming to church. Don't be surprised when there's a sense of laziness. Don't be surprised when Satan wants to take you out, attack your relationships, your marriage, your, your commitment to church, whatever it is. But friends, we must not despair because we have a powerful weapon and it is the truth. And let me say, we are not alone. We have each other. What a blessing to have each other. What a blessing to be in community with each other. When we don't see each other, there's a text, how are you doing? I haven't seen you. Come on back. May we remember that the spirit of the living God lives inside us. Romans 6 reminds us the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside us. We are not just hapless victims. Okay? Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, we have a battle raging within us, but that enemy is defeated. And we have the spirit of the living God living within us. We are not powerless. Friends, when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We pray to a father who loves us and wants to guide us, wants to guard us. He wants to guide us into good things. When we pray this, we pray it through Jesus who saved us and we pray it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us and is changing us day by day to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of these words. We together pray, Lord, especially this morning, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Lord, we ask for your protection. We ask for your protection today and this week especially as we go out into the world. Would you keep us from trials that would break our spirit? Would you keep us from temptation 
that would lure us away from all the things that are good? Would you deliver us from the evil one? Would you equip us with discernment? Be able to see that being tempted is not a sin. And so help us to see what it is and to be alive to that truth. Lead us to a place that says, oh, he's at it again. I don't even want what I'm being offered. Change our hearts, Lord. May they hunger for you. May they hunger for righteousness and goodness. Would you stir that fire within us? Lead us not into temptation, Lord Jesus, but deliver us from evil. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.